Today, we begin part two of our sermon series through the Gospel of John. Uh, Part one, we called Believe Life in Jesus, and part two, we're calling Greater Life in the Spirit. Uh, So in order to track with the church calendar in Easter, we skipped over John chapters 14 through 17. Uh, But it's actually, I think, thematically really appropriate to go back to these chapters now. Uh, Amen. (laughs) Because Jesus, he taught these things uh, after washing his disciples' feet after the Last Supper. He knew he was about to be betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter, and killed on the cross. And right before John chapter 14, where we're going to pick it up, Jesus says this to his disciples. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus knew he was leaving his disciples in a way. So although Jesus taught chapters 14 through 17 before the cross, they're actually about how to live after it. How do we live that now that Jesus has gone to where we cannot go? How do we live apart from the physical Christ, but in Christ? How do we live without the embodied Jesus with us, but live in the Spirit? That's what this teaching is about. That's what this part two of our series will be about, life in the Spirit. So I invite you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 14 to follow along with me this morning. And we're going to dive right in. Verse 1, Jesus says to them in the midst of this chaotic time, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples, they're about to enter a time of severe testing. They will see Jesus killed. They will, after that, they will lock the doors because they're afraid of the authorities who might do the same thing to them. And Jesus isn't physically there anymore. How are they going to get through this when everything seems lost? And I think it's fascinating that essentially the first thing that Jesus puts in their mind is the hope of heaven. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me, trust in me. And then why? Because I'm going to take you to heaven. It's essentially what he says. And I think Jesus, like a good doctor prescribing the right medicine, Jesus knows our troubled souls, our our worries and our fears, and he knows that our hearts need the hope of heaven. To get through the trials, to get through your worries, to get through your fears and all the things you're afraid of, to have peace in your heart. Don't you long for that? We need the hope of heaven. We need the hope of heaven. And I would simply say this to you this morning, our hope of heaven propels us through life on earth. Our hope of heaven propels us through life on earth. Being heavenly minded leads to earthly good. Eyes on heaven guide our feet on earth. A heart set on heaven comforts earth's fears and troubles. So I'm going to focus all on heaven today and I simply just want to give you three points from the teachings of Jesus. And the first is this, is that heaven is our hope. Heaven is our hope. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Why did Jesus have to say this at this time? Well, if you consider what was about to happen, it would look like from all, from all outward appearances that all was lost, that it was all hopeless, that God was nowhere to be found. Jesus was about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends, his closest disciples. He would be arrested 
He would be beaten and flogged. The people would choose to free the insurrectionist Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate, the governor of their land, would condemn him. The people would chant, crucify him. And Jesus would take the nails on the cross and be killed. Now, friends, I just said to you a bunch of insane and disturbing things. And if you had been there in person to see it, you would have had so much fear and anxiety and stress and hopelessness. But none of you, I'm willing to bet, were disturbed really by anything I just said. Oh yeah, Jesus died, we know, blah, blah, blah. Why aren't you disturbed by it? Because you know the end. Because you know what happens. You know what happens. You know how the story turns out. You know, last week we talked about some of the stories we all love, those stories of good triumphing over evil. And you ever had that moment in those movies where you wonder, how is this story going to turn out? Because it seems like the evil is going to win. You know, I, I like a lot of these movies. Some of the movies I, that Laura and I enjoy are actually the Jurassic Park movies. And uh, in those movies, there are moments where it's like, man, these dinosaurs, they're pretty scary. But I never worry for a second in those movies, ever, because I know what kind of story I'm watching. We know what's going to happen. The good guys are going to survive. All the bad guys, they're going to get eaten by the dinosaurs. Not the good guys. That's not what's going to happen. You see, Jesus wanted you to have such a firm belief, a firm trust in him that in the end, it's all going to be okay. In the end, it's all going to work out. In the end, it may not seem like it, but in the end, God's going to win and all will be redeemed. The cross, if the cross teaches us something, it should teach us that when everything looks like it's all lost and defeated, that God is actually at work because on the cross, it's actually where God saved the world. So no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how much it looks like evil is winning, no matter how hard or horrible things may get, we can trust that God in the end will win, that justice will be served, evil will be defeated, the world will be renewed, and we will be with God forever. And it might be the case that in your life, what looks like defeat will actually be God's victory over the darkness. That's the kind of stories God writes. That's the kind of story we're in. Hope in heaven will propel us through the trials and tribulations of this life. And heaven gives us the hope that no matter what happens to us, we cannot ultimately lose. The psalmist writes in Psalm 27, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh, how every Christian needs to say and believe that same thing. No matter what's happening outside in the world, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Where are the living? With God in heaven. And eventually the new heavens and the new earth. And if you're in a discipleship triad or you're simply following our Bible reading plan, we just read one of the most famous psalms of the Bible, Psalm 23, 
which ends by saying, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the hope, the confidence that we'll be with God forever. Come what may, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. All may look hopeless, but heaven is my hope. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You have to set your heart, set your hope, set your mind upon the hope of heaven when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we must continually set our minds on this hope to propel us through our short journey here. The second thing we learn about heaven from this passage is that heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. Jesus said, verse 2, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus calls heaven his Father's house. Now, he also referred to the temple in Jerusalem as his Father's house. Now, why is he referring to both as his Father's house? You see, the temple was seen as the place where heaven and earth intersected at that point, where God could dwell with man, because that's where we were designed for. In fact, when God created the Garden of Eden, scholars say that it's actually God is creating a holy temple where he's going to dwell with humankind, and that we were to be his kingdom of priests in the temple of the, of the garden, walking with God in his joyful presence. But ever since sin entered this world, we've never been fully home. We've never been fully home in it. In the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, one of the characters upon finally reaching Narnia, the version of heaven, says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. I believe we'll feel that when we get there. Heaven, heaven is this longing for home that we all have deep in our hearts and our souls. And Jesus gives several rich descriptions about this uh, that in, in ways that heaven is our home. He talks about heaven is, is family. Heaven is family. He says it's a house with many rooms. And that means there'll be room for all God's children. In this world, we have families that are imperfect, our relationships with our parents, our children, or, or our siblings, they can be distant or cut off, maybe harmful. But God has designed us to be born into families, and if we're lucky, our earthly families are good symbols of our heavenly family. But the great news is that heaven will finally be home with a Father that will never abandon Jesus, our brother, who forever unites us to the Father and close siblings from every tribe, tongue, and nation from all over the world and will be together with God forever. And will be there with the saints who've gone before us. Those heroes of the faith, we know who are up there now, worshiping the Lord, waiting for, for us to join us in their joy. Jesus says in, in this house there are many rooms. Heaven will be filled with a multitude of people, and will never be lonely in heaven, will fully belong. And although there is a great multitude 
Friend, there is a place for you. There's a place for you. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Another aspect of this heaven being our home is that heaven will be rest. Heaven will be rest. In addition to the place where the family gathers, the home is also where we rest, where we we sleep, we relax, we recover from the troubles of life. A home is a place of security from the world, a place where one dwells in safety and peace, a place of comfort, a place where you can be yourself and be loved, a place of familiarity and belonging. It's a restful place because it's a perfect place. I was at uh, Windsor Park this past week for Wednesday at Windsor, and I just want to commend to you that we all need intergenerational relationships. You need people above you, below you, you know, peers. It's good to have different kinds of people in your life. And I knew I was preparing the sermon, so I wanted to ask some of our senior saints, what do you think about heaven? Do you think about it a lot? And what comes to your mind when you think about it? We had a fantastic conversation. And many, many of them said that they think about heaven a lot. They think about heaven a lot, some of them every day, especially in that season of life as they, they know. So we know we're getting closer to the end. We're thinking about heaven all the time. And something that Marilyn Smith said really struck me. She said she was looking forward to heaven because, and she almost closed her eyes and said, there's no sin in me and no sin outside of me. <laughs> I said, wow, can you imagine? Can you let your mind imagine for a moment to finally be in a place where I, where I don't feel the gap between me and God? All my struggles, all of my failings are gone where I don't sin against Him. To finally be in a place where I'm not sinned against. To be in a, a world that's not broken by sin around me, but everything is perfect the way it was meant to be. Oh, what a beautiful image. And hold it, that sounds like rest, doesn't it? No sin within me, no sin around me. I can just rest with God. After we run this race, we will truly rest in God's presence. And one, one more aspect I want to highlight about heaven being our home is that it will be permanent. It will be eternal. Now, Jesus says that there are many rooms in his Father's house. Now, the word rooms in the Greek here is the word monet, Uh, means for dwelling uh, or abide. Uh, It's the same word that talks about the Father dwelling or abiding in the Son and the Son being in the Father. It's the same word. Now, some translations, uh, especially in the King James, it was translated mansions um, from the Vulgate, but that's an incorrect understanding in the way that we think about it. Uh, Now, I'm sure that heaven will be more glorious than anything we can imagine Uh, But this word is not something that's related to some kind of wealth or prosperity. The point is that it's a place to dwell. It's a place to abide. It refers to the act of remaining. uh, Where after after a long journey, someone comes to a, a place to stop and stay. Abide, dwell, rest. Now, this life, it's filled with all kinds of change and transitions and and moving, new places, new communities, new jobs, new neighbors. We may lament having to start over, not feeling like we're ever settled, not feeling like we really belong or that we're really home. And in some sense, this is true because this world is not fully our home. Heaven will be our final stop. 
That's what that word means. It's the final place of rest after the journey, the place where you stop and dwell and remain. And heaven will finally be settled in a place that's specially prepared for us. It will be home and it will always be home because it's eternal. It's permanent. In the same way that the Father dwells in the Son and the Son dwells in the Father, we will dwell with God in heaven forever and ever and nothing can take us out of his home. Nothing can take us out of the Father's house. Heaven is our hope. Heaven is our home. But most importantly, heaven is God's house. Heaven is God's house. The most important thing about heaven is that God is there. That's where God fully is. That's what Eden was. A temple for God's presence, for God to fully dwell with us. In the Bible is the story of God preparing the way for humanity in Him to live together again. The climax of that story is the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus says, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to to prepare a place for you? Now, if, um, if the Father's house has many rooms, what does Jesus need to prepare? The house is there. The rooms are already there. What is Jesus doing? Friends, Jesus has to prepare the way to heaven for us. Because the problem has always been, how do us human beings... Us sinful beings cast out of the garden, how do we dwell and live with a holy God again? How do we get there? The scholar D.A. Carson writes, It's not that Jesus arrives on the scene in heaven and then begins to prepare the place. Rather, in the context of John's theology, it is the going itself via the cross and resurrection that prepares the place for Jesus' disciples. That's how Jesus prepared the way for for us to get to heaven. Ever since the fall, we've been out of the Father's house, unable to enter paradise. Now, the Jerusalem temple was, was a means for God to somehow dwell with the people, and it was kind of a limited way, right? I mean, if you've been reading our Bible reading plan, we're in Leviticus, which we all know is so enjoyable. <laughs> and it's like all these laws, all these things they had to do, all the sacrifices, all the ways that they were unclean, even, even the impurities that had to be washed away so that God could dwell in the temple. But even with all of that whole system, even then, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And even that, only once a year. Even with that whole system, the access to God's full presence was cut off. So Jesus had to prepare a way. Prepare a way for us to get to God's presence again. Hebrews 9 writes about this and says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one. But he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on earth. Nor was it to offer himself again and again, as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. What that's saying is by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension into heaven, Jesus has opened paradise for humanity again. Eden is open. Heaven's gates are open wide. 
One of my favorite uh, illustrations about this is that, that many of the church fathers, they envision that after Jesus ascends into heaven, it's almost he's going on this triumphant parade and he's parading up to heaven's gates and then he opens them wide and then he sits down at the right hand of the Father, reigning until he comes again. That's what Jesus did. He opened the closed gates, opened wide, so that you and I may enter in. So we can live forever with God. Jesus is called the forerunner, our forerunner, going before us. He paved the way for us to enter the Father's house. You see, because God really wants to be with you forever and ever. You know, at, at times the Lord may allow us to feel or experience His presence in various ways, but I don't think we can even begin to fathom or imagine what it will be like to be in His presence. Jesus says in verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Jesus wants you to be with Him. That's what his heart longs for. In fact, he'll pray later in John 17, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the uh, uh, creation of the world. You see, the longing of Jesus, the prayer of Jesus to the Father is that you would be where he is. Jesus prays for that, that you would be where he is forever and to see his glory in all its fullness. You ever consider that's on Jesus' heart? He loves you so much, he longs for you to be where he is. That's what heaven is about. It's where God is. So heaven is our hope, it's, it's our home, it's God's house. But Jesus had just said to them, where I am going, you cannot come. Right now, in our current state, we cannot be in heaven. We, we are not where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The question is, how will we get there? As Gene talked about with the children. I would like to suggest that the question is worded slightly wrong. Because no one really gets to heaven. Jesus takes people there. We don't get to heaven on our own. We don't get to heaven by earning it. We don't get to heaven by straining to finally arrive. Jesus says he'll come and take us to be where he is. He, we're escorted to heaven. Do you see the difference? We don't make it. We don't care. We, we're escorted. We're welcomed. We're brought into heaven by Jesus Christ. The preparing was the cross and the resurrection. At the end of the ages, Christ will come back and take all of his beloved ones into the new heavens and the new earth. In the meantime, those who die in Christ rest in heaven and await this coming day. My friend, Jesus is intent on bringing you to heaven. That's what he went the cross for you. And that's, that's kind of what Jesus is saying in that if I, if I go to prepare a place for you, you know, why, why, why would I tell you this if this were not so? Do you, you see what he's saying? He said, well, why would Jesus do all this? Why would, why would Jesus go to the cross? Why would Jesus rise again? Why would Jesus do all of that if he didn't intend to take you there? Why would Jesus do all the preparations for the party if he didn't intend to have you there? 
No, friends, have confidence. Have confidence of your Savior. If He did all that for you, will He not take you to heaven? Because that is what He came to do. Now, we all follow Jesus. We have a role to play, but our confidence is in Christ, who opened heaven's gates wide for all who would trust Him and enter in. But Thomas, who is good for good questions, asked the Lord a valuable question. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus gives one of his most famous and I would say most important answers in the Bible. And he says to him, and he says to all of us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus leads us to the Father. He is the way, and heaven is about the presence of God. You see, it's about the way to the Father. Jesus is the way. He's, he's our way of life. He's our way to heaven. He is the truth of who God is, of what reality is, and He is Himself, the source of life now and the source of life eternal. So on the second Sunday of Easter, may you trust in the one who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. May you keep heaven on your mind. It's your hope. It's your home. It's where God is. And may this hope of heaven propel you through life on earth. So, Father, I just ask that you would help us as we, as we walk through this life, as we journey through this life. Fill our minds with the hope of heaven. We thank you for this amazing promise. And we thank you that Jesus has paved the way. I pray that all who are here would trust in you as the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for preparing heaven for us. Help us to live with that hope and with that confidence and with that assurance. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.